Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the Heritage Hour. I'm Mark Gonzalez, your pastoral encourager here in Southwest Florida, and I'm so delighted to be with you on this Saturday morning as we've been doing for about 30 years now. But I have some news for you for my friends here in Southwest Florida. Today we're actually welcoming a new uh, listening audience in the greater Atlanta area. Uh, I've been invited to be part of Inspirational Talk Radio, WAEC Love 860 AM, and they've asked me to share this broadcast there and uh, also some daily spots that we're calling Whispers of God, and I'll actually be sharing those with you through uh, uh, Kingdom 91.5 FM. Uh, also starting next week, and so you can be listening for Whispers of God if, uh, at drive time in both markets. But I am just so honored to be asked to be part of the team there at Love 860, W-A-E-C-A-M in Atlanta. And by the way, I'm told also that they're on iHeartRadio uh, online, uh, iHeartRadio, Love 860, and TuneIn Radio, um, uh, Love 860. All of these are online and available internationally and all. There's even a free app. Love 860 has a free app for your mobile devices and all. So I am just blessed just to be part of this uh, of this team and uh, able to share the Lord uh, with as many people uh, as we possibly can because the Lord loves us more than we can possibly imagine and he wants us to share that news with others. So today, as we're heading into our Easter season, it's just a month away. Can you believe that? Uh, I'm actually going to do a, a series. I'm going to start a series today called Who God Is. It's a series that's going to focus on the Lord God, the Lord Jesus himself. And you know, over the years, I've had the practice of, uh, as I read the scriptures, I like to use these two-word um, kind of descriptions of the Lord Jesus as I see him in the in the differing passages. And uh, I've actually done a number of uh, videos, uh, some three-minute devotional videos on this. And so I'll be tracking some with those, and you can check them out on my YouTube channel and all. Just go to my website at markpg.org, and you can kind of see those. But I'm going to be expanding on them in this series. And the first one, where we need to start, where we have to start, is how the Lord is our eternal everything. We're going to be going to the burning bush with Moses over in Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. And I do want to unpack for us how the Lord is our eternal everything. Oh, and as we get started, as is our custom, let's just go before the Lord and ask him to speak, shall we? Well, Lord, I'm just so grateful to be given the privilege to be able just to to share the things that I've been learning uh, from you over the years through the scriptures, Lord. And as we take a stroll through Exodus chapter 3, when Moses had his encounter with you at the burning bush, I I pray, Lord, that you'll just unpack for us the depths of your wisdom there. Give us a glimpse of your glory there. I look forward, Lord, just to sharing what I'm discovering about you as our eternal everything with our brothers and sisters. So open our eyes, Lord. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Let us see Jesus. 
Oh, we pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his precious cleansing and healing, transforming, empowering, and forgiving blood. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, my friends, if you do have your Bibles, we are going to Exodus 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, and I just have to tell you, this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I absolutely love this encounter that the, uh, that the Lord allows Moses to have with him at the burning bush. So let's pick up uh, the story of Moses. Uh, to put it in context with you, most know that he was a Hebrew who grew up in Pharaoh's court, and after uh, uh, killing an Egyptian, actually, uh, in, in anger, he ended up being exiled. He had to run for his life. And so now he's living on the backside of the Midian Desert. And this is where the story uh, picks up the first 40 years of his life in Egypt and all the splendor and, and, and his royalty in Egypt. Now this 40 years, he's been on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. So let's pick up the story there. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now, Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked... And behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. Now verse 3, So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. And I actually need to stop there. I am just absolutely overwhelmed by this idea at how Moses turned aside, and the scripture says that when he turned aside, not before, it was as if God was waiting for him to turn aside. And once he did, that's when the Lord called out to him from the midst of the bush. Hey, let me ask you a question, my friend. When you get these uh, nudges from God, these whispers from God, when you get these inspirational moments or you sense there's this yearning or drawing unto the Lord, do you, do you turn aside to investigate it? Do you turn aside to seek his heart? I tell you, there, there's so much I believe we miss because in the busyness of our lives, we fail to turn aside to listen more carefully to those nudges or whispers or signs or signals from God. You know, it's kind of like the GPS we have in our cars. You know, it'll give us the initial instruction when we punch in a destination that we want to uh, get to. But if we don't get out of the driveway and start driving, it will not give us another additional directional instruction until we get going down the road. And you know, God works that way. For the most part, he, he, he'll give us the initial thing he wants us to do, but he waits for us to turn aside and get going. And then he'll tell us more things along the way regarding that particular destination that he's called us to head for. Do you turn aside? 
I hope you do. So the text goes on to tell us that uh, when uh, the Lord saw in verse 4 that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Okay, I got to stop here too. I've been intrigued over the years about how this mountainside patch of dirt can actually be holy ground. What is it that made that patch of dirt holy ground? Well, the answer is simple. The very presence of God. Have you ever stopped to think about that, my friend? Listen, if you've come to that point in your life when you've become born again or saved, you've entered covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, you've married him, you've gotten into that personal relationship with him, everything you have, all the are, you've given to him. You know, if you've gotten saved, that means the Lord Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, came to reside in you. And the presence of the Holy Spirit makes you holy. If dirt can become holy by the presence of the living God, then you have become holy by the presence of the living God by his Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible also refers to our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. It's holy ground, my friend. I just love that. Dirt becomes holy. We become holy. Amazing. Now verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And by the way, i got to stop there too. You know, I just love how God is a God of heritage. He, he works from one generation to the next to the next. And I know that sometimes we can look at our own personal heritage and it doesn't look all that, uh, well, all that godly. But yet, if God has drawn you into himself, then if you didn't have a godly heritage of relatives, you can start one, my friend. And it's amazing what the presence of God will do in a family lineage. Then the scripture goes on to say that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. You know, I got to say that if I'm in his shoes, I do the same thing. So the Lord goes on to engage Moses in conversation. And in verse 13, Moses says to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, because see, God told them, I'm going to send you to the sons of Israel. It's time for their deliverance. Uh, so Moses responds, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? Well, what shall I say to them? And I love God's response. Didn't understand it for years as a young man, but I understand it now. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, what kind of answer is that when somebody says, what is your name? And, and the answer is, I am who I am. I mean, I didn't get that for so many years. But God goes on to say, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You know what I think God is saying here? He's saying, I am anything you need 
anytime you need it. My friend, this is why the two-word description of the Lord here for me is that He is our eternal everything. He's our eternal everything. The Lord God has existed from eternity past. You know, when we think about eternity, we usually think about our point in time now into the future, and we think about the future sense of eternity. But if you take that arrow heading toward the future and you go in the opposite direction and go towards the past, eternity goes as far back into the past as it is going to go into the future. That is our eternal and infinite God, my friend. So when he says, I am who I am to us, it's just not, I am whatever you need on this earth. It's, I am whatever you need for eternity. I am who I am. He is our eternal everything. So as I've been pondering that over the years and in a fresh study of this passage just to share with you. You know what? Uh, there's three things that I want to share with you that kind of gets it a little more practical uh, for our daily lives as we think about how does it work out exactly that He is our eternal everything, that He is whatever I need whenever I need it. So, so the way I want to kind of frame this for us is this. Uh, Jesus is indeed our eternal everything. He is all we need spiritually. That's number one if you're a note taker. Number two, he's all we need physically. And number three will be he's all we need emotionally. And that's one of the forgotten ones. But let's start with the basics. Jesus, our eternal everything, is all we need spiritually. You know, when you... Um, Think about John chapter 14. Jesus was responding to this great shock uh, that his disciples were experiencing when Jesus at the Last Supper shared with them, I am going away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. But there'll be a time when you can come. Now, think with me for a moment. Here these guys had been walking with him for, for a little over three years, watching him do miracles, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. And now he's saying, hey, I'm going away. What? And where I'm going, you can't go with me. That is to the cross. But you'll be able to join me a little later. And they're just in shock. And that's the end of John 13. But And then John 14, and it's an unfortunate chapter break there because it's really a continual story. That is where Jesus says this very famous passage. Uh, he says, let not your heart be troubled, Believe also in, uh, believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you into myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then, this is where he says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one." comes to the Father, but by me. He's all we need spiritually. He is the doorway to eternity in heaven with the Father forever and ever. And that includes all the 
great works that we call salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. I'm not going to go into all of those today. Uh, those are wonderful studies in and of themselves, the comprehensive work of the Lord, everything we need. Well, I'll just give you a quick peek. Salvation, that's being saved or born again, marrying Jesus, covenanting with him. And you know, when you marry somebody, think with me, when you marry somebody, that's what you're saying in those vows. Everything I have, all that I am, I give to you. It's built on absolute trust. That's a covenant. By the way, a contract is based on distrust. The exact opposite. That's why you get lawyers and you get paper, you know, the, the, the documents and signatures and notary seals. You don't trust the other person. You want something to take them to court if they violate that contract. But the spirit of covenant is based on absolute trust to the point where you don't have to negotiate. I'm giving you everything. Jesus gives us everything. It's available to us. And it's done in a love relationship, not a contractual relationship. That's what I love about the Lord. That is the nature of the gospel. And the obedience that the scripture talks about is not obedience in order to get saved, and it's not obedience in order to stay saved. It's not works salvation, and it's not works sanctification. That's by you know becoming more and more holy is what sanctification is. No, no. The scripture says that for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the Lord inviting you into a covenant relationship with him, and the only covenant we have left in our culture is marriage. That's why it's a great word picture for us, a great analogy. It's given to us in Ephesians 5. A man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then it goes on to say, this mystery is great, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. We are the bride of Christ, my friend. Jesus is our eternal everything. He's all we need spiritually. We just have to enter that covenant relationship with him, get saved, and the blood that he spilled on the cross cleanses us from our sin, covers us or atones for our sin. And it's through Jesus that we get to heaven. He's all we need spiritually. I just love that. Man, I, I could preach for weeks on this. But let me get to the second thing, the other dimension of how he is our eternal everything. Because he's not only all what all we, that we need spiritually, he's all we need physically. You know, one of the names of Jesus is uh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That means he provides. And in the New Testament, we see passages about uh, considering the sparrows and the lilies of the field and Jesus saying, look, they don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and the provision for them. And if I can care for the birds and the flowers, don't you think I will care and provide for you? I love that. So he, he is all we need physically as far as, you know, daily provision for life, but he also provides physically family and friends. Earlier today, we had some 
uh, a guy working at our house. And anytime somebody comes to our house to work, oh, actually everywhere, I just I just love sharing the Lord with people. And, you know, the waiters and the waitresses. I guess we should call them servers these days in restaurants. I always offer to pray for them. I say, you know, we love praying for people. Is there anything that uh, we can pray about for you? You know, f- uh, family or finances or work or school or anything. And uh, in in about 40 years of doing this, I've only had two people say, no, don't pray for me. So it's a great opening to share the Lord with people. And then that gets you into the opportunity to hear where their hearts or hearts are. And sometimes they just say to pray in general, and that's fine. But you've offered to lift them up to the Lord. And here's the thing about that. It's, it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of putting, well, it's like a little boy who put it this way, uh, when when he was feeling like he needed a little more love, and the, and the mom was saying, remember, hon, you know, God always loves you. Yeah, well, I know that, but but sometimes I need love with skin on. <laughs> I just love that. He gives us family and friends, people to engage with, to be encouraged by. And that's why I, I love to encourage people wherever I go and pointing up to the Lord. That's why I'm so grateful for my family and my friends. The Lord provides them for us. He says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. So cherish the family and friends. Those are a physical need provided by Jesus so that you can cultivate friendships in him and experiencing him in that way. And, you know, as far as another physical need, healing. You know, we do get hurt. We do get wounded. We do get sick. And the scripture talks about healing. Now, this is a whole other series. I can't say much about this, but let me just give you the nutshell version. You know, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25, we have that classic portion of scripture that says, by his stripes or by his wounds, when uh, the Lord Jesus was put up on the cross, by his wounds or stripes you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. I believe the Lord does heal us physically. But this is saying something much deeper than just physical healing. It is emotional healing. It is it is uh, uh, intellectual healing. It is mental healing. It is spiritual healing. And they can lead to physical healing as well. All of this kind of healing is available in Christ. But here's the thing. He is sovereign. And sometimes when we're praying for that healing and that physical kind of need to the Lord Jesus as our eternal everything, sometimes he says, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to heal you immediately. But sometimes he says, I'm going to heal you progressively. Sometimes he says, I'm going to do it with medical procedures, sometimes apart from it. You better be sure about the latter, by the way. And uh, But it is his prerogative. So we can ask, but we need, like Paul, to be open to the Lord saying regarding his thorn in the flesh, for example, after praying three times for it to be taken from him, the Lord said, stop praying for that. My grace is sufficient for you. I have a purpose for this. So it was a much deeper topic that we can cover here. But here's the thing. Ultimate healing is definitely going to be there when we go home to glory to get a new body to be with him forever and ever. So he is our eternal everything. All we need spiritually, all we need physically, but listen, he's all we need emotionally. 
You know, we have a fear of emotionalism, rightfully so. We don't want to have an emotionally based faith in the Lord, but it is a dimension of our being. He created us with emotions. And this gets into more of the personal and the mystical side of Christianity as we commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, his greatest commandment said, yet you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all your strength. Why is it in so many circles of Christian life, we focus on the mind and we don't get to the heart or the soul and with all our strength? He wants us with all of our might to worship him emotionally as well as mentally and spiritually. I mean, the scripture says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. The psalmist writes in the last five of the 150, he talks about praising the Lord with resounding symbols. There's plenty of space for very demonstrative forms of worship. He wants you to go deep in your quiet times with him. And can I just share with you that one of the greatest things that's been happening in my walk with the Lord is I'm going deeper and deeper into what I call the groanings of the Spirit. In Romans 8, it says that, that, that sometimes our prayers are these groanings that go up to the Lord. We don't even, not even sure why we're growing. All we know is we're overwhelmed with emotion and these groans come out. But the Spirit of the Lord, the Scripture says, interprets those prayers up to the Lord. And I can tell you, I just have a great sense when, the, when I'm really struggling with some things, looking at what we're going through with COVID-19 and financial unrest and political turmoil, all these things, sometimes my spirit is just groaning and it comes out in a physical groaning unto the Lord. And you know what? When I give them up to the Lord, I don't even have to know the exact purpose of them all or why I'm feeling that deeply about it, but I do get to express them and he does take that and I feel comforted. It's a deeper type of thing in addition to the regular kinds of petitions that we lift up to the Lord. Oh, my friend, don't ignore the emotional dimensions of your walk with the Lord. Now, don't make your walk based on them, but do include them because he is our eternal everything. Jesus is all we need spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Well, Lord, I'm just so grateful for the privilege of coming together with my brothers and sisters and being able to share the things that I'm learning in this half-hour program and in those daily spots called Whispers of God that we're doing. And uh, man, we just want to listen for your whispers every day, Lord. We receive that you love us more than we can possibly imagine. Uh, We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm Mark Gonzalez. Oh, until next time, check out more things at markpg.org, and we'll see you next time.